Please stand for a reading of God's word. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others before, better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The word of the Lord. Hiya. Um, well, good morning. I hope that uh, some of you were able to heed Dave's admonition last week and bring your Bibles and things to take notes with, um, because there's going to be a lot of content, and a lot of it's going to go by really quickly. Um, that's kind of my nature, but there you are. Uh, I have some props that I'm going to show, and there's in both what I'm teaching from here and there, there are Easter eggs. Y'all know what Easter eggs are? All right. There's stuff you're going to have to write down and look up at home. So that will give you the backstory because I don't really have time to develop all the backstory. So um, I'm just going to launch, and we're going to go there, okay? Um, great. Oh, also, also, just so everybody knows, I will send this entire thing to you if you're interested uh, and don't catch everything going by. Just email me. I'm in the directory, and uh, I'm happy to do that. Uh, let's have a word together of prayer before I, I go into the main body of things. So, um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we're assembled together here uh, in a worship surface that's perpetual. Um, we, we have entered into your throne uh, room boldly um, because Jesus made a way into that place for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection, where he's seated at your right hand, where he's interceding for us right now. Uh, we thank you for that. Thank you for the, uh, the marvelous opportunity that is to commune with you, to be in your presence, and to be a part of your body, whatever part we are, knowing that how every part is affects all the other parts. Um, thank you for that. Pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you would he have us to hear this morning from your word 
so that we might walk with you more closely. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so there's no idea more central to the Christian faith than obedience, right? I think it's funny, Dave, um, to confess to you, I'm, uh, Dave offered me the option to do something in the series that he's been going through about Christian postures, and he gave me three alternatives, uh, and so naturally I chose, this is my nature, I chose the one that I thought would be the most difficult, um, and uh, I wasn't disappointed, so um, just bear with me, and we'll, we'll, we'll get through it together, thank you for that, uh, to see where we get. Um, so I chose obedience and submission, and this is very interesting if you go to a Knave's topical Bible and you look up obedience, uh, it goes on for like 30 pages, and there's lots and lots and lots of stuff, so I did that, and then I flipped over to submission, and under submission it said, see obedience, so I, I thought that was pretty funny, so they're, they're essentially the same thing, so when I talk about submission and obedience today, it's pretty much the same idea, all right? Um, okay. We become believers, and that's a term we use, believers, when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, and he did for us what he said he did, which was he said he was the son of God. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so we could have a relationship with him, the father, forever and ever, okay? So we believe that through, uh, through an act of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts. We believe that. But once we cross that threshold of believing and acknowledging who he is and who we are in relationship to him, our lives become the relentless pursuit of righteousness. Uh, he is in us. We are in him, partnering in holiness. So there are, whoops. <laughs> nice snag. Bruce, can I have the first slide? Okay. Some of you might recognize that guy. Um, the uh, holiness generally means set apart, okay? So we are set apart when we believe. Why? Because we enter into a relationship. Uh, we align ourselves with the creator of the universe and gradually, consciously cease to live by our own rules and rather conform to his purposes. Righteousness is the evidence of the progressive holiness he produces in our lives, okay? And I love this quote. Faith is of the heart, invisible to man, Obedience is of the conduct and may be observed. When a man obeys God or a woman, he gives the only possible evidence that in his heart he believes God. Let me give that last one again. Uh, when a man obeys God, he gives the only possible evidence that in his heart he believes God. And now, spoiler alert, I know we're a little short on time, so I'm going to give you the big finish right now in case I don't get to it later. Um, without obedience... There is no possibility of deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. Okay? Now, obedience is simple in concept, right? Um, I, I'm going to show you something. There is a uh, children's song um, that I heard one time in a Sunday school class about 40 years ago in upstate New York, but it's really good. I, I looked it up on, 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 uh, on the internet, and there's somebody, some five-year-old singing it on YouTube, of course. It's the obedience song. Does anybody know the obedience song? Anybody? Uh, well, here it is. Whoa. There it is. Uh, and it kind of goes like this. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Do exact, doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily, right? So they teach this to kids. But I want to draw your attention to the lyrics in here, uh, doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. But the second verse is where it really, you know, kicks open. Um, 
sweetly submitting to authority, leaving to God the rest, walking in the light, keep our attitudes right. I sure hope we're teaching this song to our children today because it's just packed full of really good stuff, right? And of course, you get the chorus where you get to spell it out like you're going to cheer camp, you know, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Kids love that kind of stuff, apparently. Although now they have raging guitars in children's music, which is something uh, we didn't have when I was little. But I want you to look at this at how simple this idea appears to be. Of, of obedience, right? God says it, I do it, that settles it. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, um, let's talk about, for a second, this idea. We're thinking the idea of holiness and righteousness, right? Um, Bible's a big book. Two-thirds of it is the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's generally an idea there uh, that I want to I explore a little bit. I've used this slide before, the Bible in seven words. The Bible in seven words is, God wants a holy and righteous people. And the rest of the book is just details on how he accomplishes that, in short, okay? You may have heard the expression, obedience brings blessing. Anybody, anybody ever hear, hear that? Obedience brings blessing? Okay, some people have. Um, this probably comes from the Old Testament and the, when the law was given. Uh, when God gave the law to Moses or to the Hebrews, he went to great lengths to emphasize the importance of keeping it and the effects it would produce in the life of the nation of Israel. Uh, so there's the Easter egg number one, Deuteronomy 28. Someday I would dearly love to get up here and read all of Deuteronomy 28 to you, but it would take like 20 minutes, right? In that chapter, uh, the law has just been given uh, uh, chapter after chapter after chapter of law. And then Moses comes and gives this pronouncement to the people. And that's, uh, we picked that up in Deuteronomy 6, actually. Um, uh, in verse, uh, maybe my reference is wrong, but he says this. Moses says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. All right? That sure sits, it sets up a performance reward sort of um, uh, relationship there. And then he gives like five paragraphs of good things that will happen. You know, rain and season and all that. Then on the other side of the coin, in verse 15, uh, he says, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then he goes on for a page and a half of this really horrible stuff that will happen. Uh, and my, uh, maybe because I just my favorite macabre example is when it talks about the woman who's considered so delicate that the sole of her foot would not even so much as touch the ground will refuse to share the flesh of her baby that she cooks during your siege when the city is under siege. It's that kind of stuff unfolds for like page and a half. Um, so it really, it, it totally sets up this, do the right thing and you'll, you'll do good, do the bad thing and you're hosed, right? So that's kind of how the law worked. That's my interpretation there. And of course, we know it didn't work. It was a disaster, in fact, because the people couldn't or wouldn't keep the law and very many of those terrible things that were predicted actually came true. We studied Ezekiel earlier in the summer predicting terrible things that would happen, including going into exile, the city under siege, starvation, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that happened. In the Old Testament, from about the time of Solomon, um, it gets into this long, slow descent into decay and chaos that goes on for the rest of the book. So if you've ever read it in one sitting, or, or at least rapidly over time, you get to the end of the Old Testament, it's like, let me up, I've had enough. I need a solution. And we get one, right? And we get Jesus as the solution. So as we move into uh, 
New, the New Testament, Jesus came to establish a completely new paradigm uh, for God getting a holy and righteous people, right? <clears throat> and here's the gospel part, for those of you who are noting it. By his death on the cross, he paid for all of our sins, but in addition to that, he's given us the Holy Spirit, and he, him dwell, he himself dwells in us, and we in him. We are in Christ, right? Um, as God promised in Ezekiel, He's taken away our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, which means we are actually able to become the holy and righteous people the Father is seeking. But how does this happen? It's a mystery in the outworking, but what we have is a partnering with God. He works in us, and we work too, right? So in Philippians 2, I'm going through the passage sort of backwards, Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. All right? I love this. This is, so God works in, and of course, any kind of change, any progress that we have in our righteousness is coming because God the Holy Spirit is causing that in our lives. And guess what? We get to work all of that out right? He's working. We're working. One of the commentators I read said, yes, it's all God and it's all us. There is no knife sharp enough to cut between the effort of where what we're doing, partnering with the Holy Spirit, produces the outcome the Holy Spirit is intending, right? So it's, it's all in in that partnering. Um, the, word, the Greek word koinonia, that we, from which we get fellowship, one of the possible meanings for that is partnering. So that's how this process works, of God working it in and us working it out. Now, hopefully, hopefully, you've been able to observe this phenomenon in the saints around you, particularly those who have walked in the Lord for a long time. And I'm just looking out there, and I know some of you people, and you know who you are, right? So this, this is really good. Um, as Christ is progressively formed in the lives of the devoted, we ultimately, ideally, see more of Jesus and less of them. Now, if you find one of these people, right? Um, and you ask any of them the key to their sanctification, and I promise you, you will generally hear something very close to, let me see if I can get the tune right, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Yeah, some of you are singing that along with me. It's, like, it's simple, right? Um, obedience. And adoration has become a way of life for them. Uh, though if you ask them about it, they will invariably point out what desperate sinners they are. Uh, humility, after all, is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? That comes with that territory. But this condition, this condition of becoming more Christ-like, uh, doesn't come without a struggle. If it did, the Bible wouldn't be so filled with violent language concerning our own relationship with the sin in our lives. Would you like an example? I'll give you one. I'll give you several. Um, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. This is New Testament stuff, by the way, too, not Old Testament stuff. Uh, but if you, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Romans uh, 8, 13, and 14. Number two... Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave 
so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That's in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, and 27. And finally, and just think about this next one for a moment. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. Let me give you that one again. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. That's from Hebrews 12.4. Okay. Check that out. Um, Jesus, not even a chuckle yet. It's all right. I'm going to give you permission to laugh at that in a second. The... um, Jesus had plenty to say uh, regarding our relationship to sin and the pursuit of holiness, including this horrifying statement. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell, Jesus said. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus talking. Right? So this guy, um, he's not necessarily a villain. He's a guy pursuing righteousness because he cut off his right arm and he plucked out an eye. It wasn't the right eye, to be completely honest, but it was the best pirate picture I could find. So I want that to stick in your head, though. To carry, I made it funny to carry away that idea of this will apply to some of us spiritually. Um, this radical amputation, where's Matt? This radical, thank you, radical uh, amputation, which we hold to be a metaphor, may sometimes be necessary on a practical level to walk with Jesus in purity and holiness. And this is where I'm going to make a shameless plug for fuel, right? In our fuel program um, that meets here on Monday nights, 6 p.m., dinner included, um, there are men in that group, myself included, who can tell you what this surgery is like what radical amputation is like. It's painful. It's a struggle. It is often not one and done, but requires repeated application of the same extreme measure. Our mind and our flesh fight to hold on to our habit or obsession, and ultimately, we are powerless over it and learn that we must utterly surrender to God, often through a state of desperate brokenness, so that he can change us, even as we work to change ourselves. Now, fortunately for us, we have the greatest imaginable example of hard-fought obedience in our Savior. And the scripture tells us this. There's a few key episodes in the life of Jesus, which to me uh, emphasize his humanity, but more specifically, they emphasize uh, this idea of learning obedience. In Hebrews Oh, let's see where I'm on. Yes, in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Right? What does it mean that Jesus learned obedience? Why did he need to learn it? This is very important. It wasn't, need, it wasn't because he had previously been disobedient, and this is a correction. No, that's not it at all. The case here is that he was experiencing the contrite act 
of being submissive to the will of God as a human being, complete with the suffering that accompanies it. Right? Jesus learned what the experience for a human is like in, in, in the manner of acknowledging it and holding it with him. So he, knew, so he knows that. This is what qualifies him to be our advocate at the right hand of the Father, where he's interceding for us right this second in, some, in, some, in God's marvelous collapsing of time, however that works. And that's in Romans 8.34, for those of you who are noting things. Uh... I want to point out, in case there's any mystery about what's on the slide, top, left, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. After not eating, after fasting for 40 days, he was nearly dead. And Satan comes to him and says, why don't you make these stones bread and have a bite? Um, so he, he learned how to use scripture as a way to, to fend off the devil in the midst of tremendous suffering during his temptation. Okay? Bottom left, that's Gethsemane. You know what's going on there? Jesus, I love this. Jesus prays that uh, if, it's, if, if, if there's any way that you can take this cup away from me so I don't have to drink it, please do it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes back. His friends are sleeping. You know what it says in Luke? He goes back and he prays more earnestly. How can Jesus pray more earnestly? I, I, I don't understand that exactly, except it's, it's expressing the depths of the agony and the suffering he was feeling, anticipating what? Anticipating that on the right, right? The physical pain, the humiliation from the soldiers, but more than that, on a metaphysical level, on him was poured the penalty for all sins of all people of all time, and in that transaction, the father turned away from him. And in Gethsemane, you bet that was on his mind. And he was suffering in anticipation of obedience. Now, the good news is, <clears throat> in Philippians 2, we're also encouraged to have the same attitude uh, that Jesus had in carrying out his mission on earth. I think it's very interesting. The reason that hymn to Christ is, is there is in verse, found in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. What, what is selfish ambition and vain conceit? I'll tell you. That's your dang big idea. Right? You have a big idea to carry out. You have a plan to put into place. Okay? That's what vain conceit and selfish ambition is. When What we are doing, even in our service to God, and I'm speaking from experience, is more about us than about him. We're subject to that because of our sinful natures. Right? So in order for Paul to counter that phenomenon, he says, consider Jesus. Now, the point of the passage is that we think about where he was in glory with the Father in his glorified form, like all those glowing metal things that we saw in Ezekiel and the way Jesus will be when he comes back at the end of everything. Uh, and then he stepped away from that, deliberately went through the humiliating process of being born as a human being, grew up, did his ministry, and did all of that um, he stepped away from that glory, and it says he made himself nothing and humbled himself to the limitations of being in human form, and in obedience to the Father submitted himself to death. I want to clarify, he wasn't obedient to death as an entity. He was obedient to his Father in working through death, right? So that's, that's where his obedience is in that passage. Something, death? What's death? I, when, when Jesus was before he was a human being, no concept of that, 
So he became obedient to that as a human phenomenon. That was his attitude, servanthood and humility. And God exalted him for his obedience. Okay, so that's our example. And now, where the rubber hits the road. This is some of the things, entities, people, which we may find ourselves needing to submit, right? First one, very easy. And this, these are, um, uh, make notes of these. I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm not going to read them in the interest of time, except a couple. The first one, obviously, God. We're submitting to God, and almost all the stuff that we think of as righteous behavior, behavior and holiness is essentially submitting to God. In James 4, 7, and 8a, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Okay, it's a formula, right? Starts with submit. Parents, um, uh, that's, that's, that's throughout the scriptures, but Ephesians 1 is a really good suggestion for that. Authorities. Let me read that one. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. That's in 1 Peter 2, 13, 14, and there's several instances of that type of uh, injunction for us in the New Testament. Husbands, I'm just going to refer you, um, wives, to that Ephesians passage. I'm not doing a dissertation on uh, marital relationships today. That's just one that comes up. Leaders. Now, this one I find really interesting. The, this next passage, written by Paul, is from Paul as a pastor and an elder, um, speaking about leaders in the church. Um, and just, it's an interesting observation. I, I see an elder there. I'm an elder. There were several here in the previous sermon. So that would make us leaders in the church. So it's an interesting phenomenon that there are, might be some times when some of you might have that relationship with one of your elders or a leader in a small group or somewhere else, right? So what Paul says is, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account, Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay? Just another line of this, this thinking, this thinking of, 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 of humility and submission and obedience. Obedience to Christ through the obedience to his anointed leaders or his appointed leaders. And then finally, to one another. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5.21. So, <clears throat> my prediction is... Some of you have multiple categories. Some of you have all of them, right? But with each of you, it is highly probable that at some point you're going to bump up against one of these things. And what do I mean bump up? Look at, the vo- look at the quote on the front of the bulletin. You end up being defensive and saying, I will not. I will not. So I made up a little acrostic for you. Only be ever yielding. Question authority. Be politically involved, only be ever yielding. Engage with your leaders in dialogue. Find out where they're going, only be ever yielding. Right? Partner with your, <clears throat> partner with your husband, only be ever yielding. Just a thought about wherever that instance might come up. Okay, and now I have a four-step uh, strategy for overall submission and obedience in your lives, right? So um, it's not a fourth step for those of you 12-step people, and you know what I'm talking about. Incidentally, I made it a point to not take any of your inventories. I'll let you do that yourselves, 
right? But here's my four points for pursuing obedience and submission. Number one is love. I'm going to read a little bit for this. Uh, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The absolute beginning and foundation for all we do in our walk with God is, lo- is to love him with our whole person. Okay? And I want to emphasize this both intellectually and emotionally. And I think intellectual love for God is easier for many people to, to have access to because it's, it's saying things and thinking things. But it, your, your heart means you feel love for God, right? And I know that there are some of you who may not feel that way, right? So I have a tip, and it's this. <clears throat> Act toward him as if you did emotionally love him. Right? Think about the things you do for the people you emotionally love. What do we say to them? What gifts do we bring to them? How do we talk about them to other people? Right? If you begin to act as if you emotionally love God, guess what? You will be emotionally attracted to him. And that, as you know, can be absolutely every bit as powerful as a cold, rational, intellectual defense of the love of God. So I'm encouraging you to experiment and go out there and see if you can get to that place. Ah. Secondly, lose. Jesus also said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. All right? Now, just in that passage, in the context, Jesus is not talking about dying physical death. So he's talking about something else. And he's also not talking about misplacing um, your life as you might your car keys. Okay? He's talking about deliberately losing, surrendering, giving up those parts of your life that are your own fabrications, your goals and dreams, your intentions, plans, reputation, independence. To be totally absorbed into his purposes for you. That's losing your life for his sake. Why stop at amputating an arm when he wants your whole life? Keep, read John 15. That's 14 actually, but 14 and 15, Jesus comes right straight out with it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then you go into 1 John, same apostle, right in the same story, and he comes back and hits it over and over and over in 1 John. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you say you love me, you don't keep my commandments, you're a liar, right? Pretty clear stuff. And then make, and I want to sort of um, to, to end up with make because that's the great commission, that last one right there. And my point in, in talking about the great commission as something, it is something that we're commanded to do, right? As you go into all the world, make disciples. <clears throat> and it's tempting to always think about that and contain yourself because it's, it, it, you feel it's talking about a mission field. And I have to go somewhere to a foreign country and do this really complicated thing and learn a new language. And some people do that, and that's awesome. That's wonderful. We support people all over the world who are doing that, right? But discipleship begins with the person sitting beside you, right? And it, they, might, they may already know Jesus, but discipleship is teaching somebody else the things God has taught you. So here's my challenge. <clears throat> Earlier, I talked about those saints 
who we want to look to as examples of having walked in adoration and trust in Jesus for a while. Now I'm talking to you guys you, and, and women, you saints, okay? Who are you discipling today, right? Look around you. Identify somebody who could use the benefit of what you've had in your life, transfer it into their life for the sake of the kingdom. It's a two-way street, Right, the um, the newer believers and those who are younger in maturity look to the to the to the saints. The saints look the other way and and drive the family line down. Right. Uh, okay. I have to mention that disciple making is an intense and often challenging experience. Right. If you uh, yeah, as I like to say, sometimes uh, I get to hang out um, with and I'm uh, with. Uh, the broken and the rebellious, right? Just how I started, exactly the same way. And those were, there were those who mentored me and discipled me as a young believer. All right. This is my suggestion for a t-shirt. Have you noticed before that right in the middle of the word obedience is die? It's a reminder. And I, I hope that one can stick there with you. Somebody offered to make me a shirt in the first, first service. Maybe I'll get one. Um, maybe we'll all get one. <clears throat> uh, so to wrap up, um, I'm going to reference fuel again in our fuel fellowship. Uh, pretty much every single lesson we have boils down to the same topic, and it's this. In one way or another, it's love Jesus, know the word, apply the word, don't rely on your own strength and be accountable. All of that applies to the pursuit of righteousness through obedience, every single one of those points, okay? And as I said before at the beginning, without obedience, there is no possibility of deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. It comes with the territory. Okay, I'm going to just put this on the screen. Whoops, maybe there. It's long. I'm not going to read it. Talks about talk about the word all the time. Get the word in you. Get the word in you. Share it with others. Memorize it. Right. That's, then you'll be able to pop it out, pull it out when you need it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a wonderful opportunity to come before you and open our hearts and be in the space where you are. Uh, and to hear from you, to hear from your Holy Spirit. Lord of God, I just, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you. It is, it is so full of things for us to think about and um, uh, teaching for the way we get to live because we walk with you. Thank you for that. <clears throat> thank you for the fellowship with other believers that you've given us. And God, as I pray that as we seek um, uh, greater knowledge of Jesus, as we seek the opportunity to have Jesus formed in us, that we might be open to the pain and the struggle that is sometimes engaged in obedience. Uh, Father, we, we seek you today. We love you. We want to emotionally and intellectually love you and pursue you with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. Uh, and I, I pray that we'll have great discussions at the brunch tables, um, uh, questions from, from this, this teaching, uh, and that you might cause us to grow so that you, you are glorified. In Christ's name, amen.